Hello guys, it is Abel here, back with the second training episode update from my second SSD training cycle, uh, where I'm going over my observations that I'm making throughout uh, progressing across this training cycle so I can give you guys some valuable insights. And I'm also going over the weekly selected topic that I want to cover. So this week, I will talk a bit about injury prevention, which is a handy topic because a lot of the things that I'm doing in my current training cycle are basically there so that I can remain injury free because really injuries are essentially, in my mind, the number one thing that can limit the longevity in your training game uh, more than anything. And I think anybody who has had at least one serious injury is basically a different lifter from that point onwards. So I'm glad to be able to talk about this topic, but first I'll roughly go over my past week and how my training setup looks like. So first of all, right now I'm training basically daily, so essentially every day. This is just something that just uh, fits my schedule and life structure nicely. There are relatively few things that are taking time out of my schedule at the moment. For now, it's um, two to four hours of creative work time per day, two to four hours of chore work per day. I have a language class two or three times a week, so I'm still learning Macedonian. And then a few days a week, I'm with my girlfriend from 9 p.m. onwards. And, you know, of out of the remaining hours that are left to be dedicated to all the other things, such as eating, commuting, playing video games, blah, blah, I'm dedicating about one hour to the gym. So basically, daily training. Uh, my volume at the moment is around 10 to 12 sets per muscle group, which is a little hard to quantify because there's a lot of myo rep work in the beginning. But if you try to quantify the amount of straight set worth of actual work that I'm getting out of my myo rep sets, I may get two or three hard sets worth of work because my reps just drop very quickly, especially for my delts, my quads, and my biceps. So all in all, my volume comes out to about 12 sets for each muscle group on average. Training frequency per muscle group, for the initial phase, I'm going to train pretty much all muscle groups um, four plus times a week. Again, uh, this is something that I just want to experiment with um, while the reps are nice and high, and there's relatively little risk of developing connective tissue damage with this high-frequency approach. Um, now, on some muscle groups, this high frequency comes out if you account for the overlap. So I would count a lot of my back work as work for the rear delts and biceps. I would count some rear delt work as volume for the side delts. And I would count some quad work as some volume, at least for the calves, etc. But I'm doing a little bit of volume on most days for each muscle group. And on the whole, it adds up to about 12 sets per week. Uh, over time... As the loads will get heavier, I will probably modify my training split a bit so that the frequency per muscle group will be a bit lower. So I may get into an upper-lower split or even a push-pull-legs kind of split. A little bit on exercise selection. I'm incorporating some lifts this time from the get-go that the last time I only incorporated in the heavier phase. So I'm doing some chin-ups and pull-ups. I'm also doing push-ups from the get-go, which can be pretty hardcore, to do sets of 15 with, but if you're strong enough, slash if you have the work capacity, then it can be great. Um, so for some people, it's just not viable to do this, even though they are really strong. So for example, Berge, I believe, can perform some ridiculous numbers on chin-ups, like his body weight, which is 
95 to 100 kilos or something plus 60 kilos and he will do three to five reps with that whereas I think he can't even do like 10 reps with his body weight so he's just one of those remarkably fast twitch muscle fiber dominant guys I'm pretty average in this regard like on most muscle groups if I test my 80% 1RM I typically get the predicted eight reps by the book for 70% I get pretty much exactly 12 reps by the book so I'm probably quite average muscle fiber composition wise which reflects on my strength and physique development relative to the amount of time I put into this uh, on the whole I'm quite average in all fronts uh, but anyway so I will be doing some high rep work with these upper body lifts uh, for the quads I will be doing leg extensions split quads and leg presses in the high rep phase and in the lower rep phase I'll reincorporate squats and uh, like I hinted in the last episode I will probably reintroduce back squats after the longest time uh, and I will see how that will go uh, they were out of my program for a long time because I, I had some long-term shoulder problems and I was concerned that loading it with a bar uh, would cause issues but now uh, that I thought about it I've been doing uh, heavy upper body work for quite a while now so probably putting a heavy barbell on my back is not going to cause any problems so I'm excited about that other muscle groups things are quite standard except that once again I started with higher reps on a few muscle groups than uh, what would be the standard prescription so I have no real intentions of doing leg presses for example for lower reps than about 12 because a I have no interest in loading up like 300 or so kilos every time I do them which is a good problem to have but a very real problem to have for anyone who has gotten reasonably strong on leg presses and B, even though the leg press machine I have uh, has pretty good range of motion and levers, it still puts you in a fairly constrained movement pattern, which I think is best not to load super heavily. So staying in the moderately higher rep ranges is probably prudent. So I'm actually starting out with sets of 30 on this one. And over the course of two or three months, I will gradually go down to doing sets of 12 to 15. And as you can imagine, doing sets of 30 is quite a deadly experience. Like by the time you get through that set of 30 and the myo rep sets afterwards, you're pretty much of the mindset that you're never going to set foot in the gym ever again. Uh, I just posted this on Facebook the other day that there's a quite large difference between how you feel on different movements in different rep ranges. So a set of eight on shoulder presses, uh, while you're looking at yourself in the mirror, you feel like you're the biggest badass in the world and you're loving every second of that effort. Whereas a set of 30 on leg presses, you're like, I just want to quit this whole lifting thing and I never want to set foot in the gym ever again. But nevertheless, it's an amazing way to stimulate your muscles highly while going really easy on the connective tissue. And sometimes you got to give your body what it needs, not just what you want. So that is a good start on my training setup for now. And now let's get into the topic of injury management. Because as, as you could just hear, I'm doing a lot of things in the name of injury management and more specifically, injury prevention. Um, so first of all, I want to say that Injuries are a real bitch and almost from a philosophical perspective, it's almost like it's not fair that injuries do happen because in other areas of life, there are very few things that limit you from at least putting in the work. Like if you want to reach to the top of the business world, sure, it's hard as hell and there are many forces that can limit you, but at least nobody can take away your power to do the best you can. On the other hand, 
these injuries and lifting are really shitty because you want to sweat, you want to make the sacrifice, and then this shitty injury comes and sidelines you. And I think this is something that you simply won't really understand until you had at least one serious injury. Because if you never had an injury, then there might be things that frustrate you a little bit, like you might not progress as fast as you would want, you might be a bit irritated that your friends are making better gains than you do, but you take your ability to train and your ability to exert effort at least very much for granted and consider it as something within your control. And that's why I think once you had at least one serious injury in your lifting career, you're not the same lifter as you were before. Because in that moment, you realize how precious is the ability to go in there, train hard, and deposit a little penny into your muscle bank, so to speak. Now, if you're smart enough, you may actually take this message to heart and you will actually never have to face the ugly reality of being injured and you can make progress for the next 50 years without ever having to be sidelined. But for now, just know that similarly to these videos on YouTube about the life advice of these 100-year-old people who talk about wishing they have spent more time with their loved ones and whatnot, pretty much all lifters who have been hitting it hard for 20 plus years will tell you that they wish they had been more conservative because ultimately injuries were the biggest barrier to their progress. So as a start, let's just establish this one notion that we should probably listen to the old folks on this one because they're probably onto something. Um, which as a side note, I remember listening to podcast episodes when I was 21, 22, where these guys were talking about why it's important to not get ahead of yourself with the weights and the volume. And I remember having almost this cynical mindset of really these people are just trying to sound smart here or they're actually just trying to prevent me from making the best gains and all this stuff about playing it safe is just some bullshit. And yeah, that was the time when I was not yet aware of the fact that I had things like joints and tendons. Uh, but anyway, before I start spewing out some strategies about injury management, let me tell you briefly about the moment in my life when I became a different lifter, i.e. the moment when I suffered my first and to this day only serious injury. So around that time, I was very much an, I would say, entitled and impatient lifter. I was chasing results uh, while not really enjoying the process in the meantime. And in the late summer of 2015, which was actually the end of a very heavy winter in New Zealand, I finally got to my goal of getting down to around 8% body fat. I've been chasing this result for a long time by that point. And when I finally got there, I was getting to the point where I was having a pretty non-optimal relationship with the gym because I've been on a diet for ages. I have not progressed on any of my lifts for a good while by that point. And basically, I was just going in there to burn calories and to you know, send the signals to my body so that it doesn't waste muscle excessively. But on the whole, training simply became a chore for me uh, that I felt like I needed to get done rather than something that I did each day in the hopes of getting better. Uh, so by the time I finally got lean and uh, finally started to add back in food and quote-unquote starting to bulk up, I didn't have the same burning passion for the gym as I used to have. And it was no longer something that I did for continuous self-improvement or to express myself in this physical format or to find an outlet for my frustrations or any of that stuff. But rather, training sort of became this very much results-focused pursuit that I just did uh, with a sense of 
entitlement, basically. And while my obsession was still there towards the gym, it very much turned into chasing outcomes and, you know, making room for my fun foods that I wanted to eat on my bulking phase, like my low-fat ice creams and cereals and the like. So I embarked on a new training program. It was a pretty hardcore split with a lot of volume. It was 20 or so sets per muscle group, which in retrospect was way too much for my training age. But I could tolerate it pretty well, in part because I was regularly skipping quite a lot of lower body movements. So I still enjoyed my upper body work. And um, I quickly developed a liking to the barbell overhead press or the military press. Uh, before I started the program, I was doing sets of eight or so with a, about 50 kilos, which is, of course, not very strong. But keep in mind that I was 75 or so kilos at the time. And I started progressing with the OHP pretty well. And since I was following um, Greg Gallagher's or Kino Body's work, and I was really impressed with his overhead pressing, I got very enthusiastic about getting as strong as possible on this movement. And I frequently made these calculations on how many weeks and months will I have to wait until I will get to his strength level if I keep adding two and a half kilos to my lifts. And um, the days in the gym where I was performing the overhead press quickly became my favorite ones. And at one point I hit, I think, 13 reps with 55 kilos, which made me very excited. And I remember going to the gym for the following workout, waiting to hit a PR with a slightly heavier weight. Uh, they had these plate mates, magnetic microplates in the gym. So I was uh, going to perform the lift with 56 kilos. And I failed to hit the PR in the first set. And then in the second set, about one or two reps into the set, I felt this really sharp pain in my left shoulder. I don't remember exactly at which point throughout the rep the pain hit me, whether it was near the lockout or near the sticking point, but I could feel it right away that this shit was not just some minor discomfort, but rather something that had the potential to take me out of the gym for a while. So um, I finished my workout still. Uh, luckily, I didn't have more upper body lifts uh, in that one, so it was fine from that regard. And I was hoping that the pain would go away until the next day, but it didn't go away. And uh, to be honest, because I was completely clueless about injury management and what one should do in this situation, I did what many young guys in my situation would do. And I tried working through it for a while. And uh, I kept going to the gym for the next week or so as if nothing happened. But it was clear that it was heavily impacting my upper body lifts. Uh, Chin-ups and pull-ups hurt like crazy when I went into the stretched position at the bottom. Pressing movements were heavily impacted. I filmed myself a few times and the strength imbalance between my two arms got really apparent, like the bar was tilting towards the injured side like crazy. And within a week or so, I had to accept the fact that I had an actual injury, which of course should have been clear from the first moment. So uh, I could do an entire podcast episode on how my next few months were spent with me going from one clueless physio to the next one and how I was experimenting with really weak protocols to get around this injury. But the keynote summary here is that eventually I got myself a reasonably competent physio who sent me to an ultrasound person who diagnosed a small tear in my supraspinatus. And I kept going back to that physio for a while. And he prescribed some rotator cuff strengthening exercises, you know, the typical bend, ins and outs, and external and internal rotations and all that stuff. 
And what he told me in a nutshell that uh, once I'm recovered, I should probably never attempt to do overhead presses and lateral raises once again, because those are just hell on the shoulder. But I'll be able to do most upper body movements eventually. And uh, basically my next, I would say, six months or so were spent me not really training my upper body at all, except those few movements that didn't hurt, like rows and preacher curls. And I was doing some lower body training, like leg presses and seated calf raises. And while I think an injury like this would suck a ton now as well, I think now I would still be able to take it better than I did at the time, because it was really a time in my life where working out and trying to manipulate my body composition was my only real hobby or the only real thing towards which I had a real passion for and that I was looking forward to do each day. And so having to spend six or so months essentially not being able to engage in this activity really deeply impacted my life on every level. And it just made me a much more bitter and mentally unstable person. You know, my uh, romantic relationship at the time suffered a lot because of this. Uh, I became quite resentful towards a lot of people in the lifting community on the whole. Uh, in fact, it was really actually painful for me to watch my personal friends who were into lifting, how they could just do their bench presses and overhead presses and all that stuff. And it was just not a good time in my life. So um, the injury happened in late August and around February next year, when I left New Zealand and moved back to my home country for one or two months before I traveled further to the Netherlands to finish my studies, I went to one of the best surgeons in my country and he took a look at my shoulder and within two minutes he told me that I should forget about this super spinatus stuff because the problem is that I sublux my shoulder, which is a more minor form of dislocation basically. So I should work on stabilizing my shoulder musculature as much as possible. And he told me that I can absolutely keep working my upper body out with movements and ranges of motion that do not cause pain. So I started doing some push-ups and some one-arm pull-downs and some bicep curls and tricep extensions. And long story very short, within about six months, I was finally back to doing some meaningful upper body workouts. And I was doing heavy weighted push-ups. I was doing heavy chin-ups. And I was finally actually training as opposed to just rehabbing. And you know, within six months, I gained back most of the muscle that I had lost during my injury. So at the lowest point in my recovery, I was around 72 kilos at around 10% body fat. And within six months, I was around 76 kilos at the same body fat. And, you know, the rest is history, sort of, but within another year, I was 80 kilos or so at the same body fat. And then another year and a half later, I'm now at 83 kilos at the same body fat. And to be honest, this shoulder injury really turned out to be a serious one. Like, I don't think my shoulder ever really completely healed anatomically. Like, it still lacks a good bit of internal rotation, my left elbow still does some funky things, which I think have something to do with my shoulder being messed up because I didn't have that problem before. But I would say that now, and really only now, like three plus years after this injury, I can say that my shoulder is basically 98% back to how it was before, where I don't have to think about this shoulder injury at all when I'm working out. And it's pretty resilient to stuff that I'm throwing at it. So, uh, that was a little story time about my only lifting injury that could be considered serious. 
And sorry that it took this long, but I actually never spoke about this on the podcast before. And I could actually talk quite a bit more about this because it really reshaped me in some ways. And I would definitely say that I'm not the same lifter as I was before this injury. And uh, really the biggest difference here in terms of what this injury had done to me was developing uh, what I would call eternal appreciation towards training because I don't think I will ever consider the ability to train hard and, and develop my body to its potential as a given. And, you know, in my case, we're talking about a sublux shoulder and a small tear in a rotator cuff muscle, which is not a small injury to have, but it eventually did heal. And even though it still impacts me to some degree, like I don't do certain exercises out of precaution, and I'll get into that in a second, but people develop much more serious injuries than that. I mean, people suffer spinal injuries. Uh, they will need to have s- shoulder surgeries, like Burger had two of them, I believe. Some people severely injure their knees. They tear pecs and quads, hamstrings. I mean, those things, no matter what, how right you do things during your recovery, these things will take you out for a while. So, guys, just uh, keep this in mind that no matter how frustrated you might be with your progress, you might not grow like your best friend does. You might be struggling with some stubborn body fat. You may have to go way too low in calories to get down to 10% body fat. Never take your ability to train and develop yourself every week and just get 1% better at least for granted because a wrong move and it can be taken away from you in a split of a second. So 25 or so minutes gone and now let's dedicate the final however many minutes Uh, talking about how to avoid injuries and how to work around things if you do have an injury. So on the avoidance side of things, let's start there because obviously the easiest way to manage injuries is to not develop them in the first place. So there are, I would say, four key things that I think are crucial to keep in mind. But actually, even before I get into that, there's a certain mindset that you gradually need to adopt as you're developing into an advanced lifter. So I think what we all need to accept is that as we are getting stronger, as we are accruing more muscle mass, as we are approaching our genetic potential, the more and more injury risk is going to become a reality that we need to keep in mind at all times. So when you are a beginner and you're just starting to disrupt your homeostasis in the gym on a regular basis, you're starting out with your baby weights, everything moves awkwardly, you are sore all the time. Those are the times when you're basically bulletproof and you're om- you almost need to make a conscious effort to hurt yourself. And you can see this in the gym. You see new guys coming in and heaving the weights up and down and bench pressing with their wrists, slacking back. You see these old folks coming into the gym and putting themselves into all kinds of awkward positions on the lat pull down and on the lying leg curl machine and hyperextending the knee on all reps on the leg press machine. And they're fine. And you know it fully well that if you did that one time, you would immediately strain something or tear something. And the thing is, is that is because you're so much stronger than them and you're so much more apt at producing a lot of force with your muscles that the loads you can handle and the intensities you can handle or putting you at an exponentially higher risk at any given rep than what they ever need to face. So basically, what is saving them from an injury is that they are too weak to hurt themselves, basically. And this is something that we just need to wrap our heads around, that 
while all the other factors I'll be talking about now are crucial in managing and preventing injuries, but being a strong lifter, period, is an independent risk factor for getting injured. And at some point in your training, you will basically get to the point where half of your training effort is focused on getting stronger and bigger, and the other half is focused on not getting injured. Like, sure, there are some people who can get away with anything, even at the advanced level, because they have just iron connective tissue and are highly resistant to injury. But those are the exceptions to the rule that prove the rule, basically. So with that, for preventing and managing injuries, there are four key things that I think are crucial to keep in mind. And those are as follows. Technique, exercise selection, intensity, and autoregulatory methods. So technique is, I guess, the most straightforward one, so I won't be spending too much time on this one, but you do want to make sure that you know your movements. So you don't want your wrist to slack backwards on pressing movements. You do want to arch your back during benching or even on the chest press machine or on the peg deck fly. You only want to flare your elbows out as much as your shore is safe for you. You don't want to hyperextend your knee on the leg press and on the leg extension machine. You don't want your back to round on your squat and deadlift variations and so on and so on. There are many good technique guides on the internet. There are many people on YouTube giving good instructions on this. Uh, You can hire a coach, but the point is learn your technique. Um, Second thing, exercise selection. And I think the main thing here is just know that there is no essential exercise that you need to have in your arsenal. And yes, this includes the bench press, this includes the military press, this includes the chin-up, the back squat, the bent row, and this includes every single exercise basically that you can think of. Uh, The muscle, as Berger likes to say it, is just a dumb piece of meat and it will respond if you put tension on it. And each muscle basically has a certain range of motion that it needs to be put through with a certain intensity of effort to disrupt the muscle fibers, and then it will grow. So if you want to train the quads, for example, the primary muscle action is extending the knee, which you can achieve with a back squat or a front squat or a zercher squat or a safety bar squat or a leg press or a Smith machine squat or a lunge, or a reverse lunge, or a Bulgarian split squat, or a pistol squat, or a belt squat, and even the leg extension, (laughs) which means that if you can do the back squat for whatever reason, then I think you have quite a few more options to choose from. Uh, Same with the bench press. Like, sure, it's a great exercise for the chest. It's highly practical because you can find a barbell and a bench press spot in basically all gyms. The barbells can be loaded and micro-loaded quite conveniently. Uh, progress progress is quite easy to track but fundamentally what do you need to train your chest it's shoulder transverse abduction and shoulder flexion so bringing your arms together from the side and bringing them upwards basically and you can achieve this with the bench press sure uh, but you can do it with an incline bench you can do it with a chest press machine a peg deck fly uh, with a one-arm cable fly you can do it with the smith machine bench you can do weighted push-ups floor presses i mean Really, it's only your imagination limiting you to find more and more viable ways to train your chest. So really, the key here is not to get married to any particular exercise. If something causes pain during the exercise, you want to stop doing that exercise. I myself, in the past two years, have gained roughly, I don't know, seven to eight kilos of muscle, 
without doing a single set of back squats, a single set of barbell military presses, and only did a handful of sets of bench presses. I doubt that I did more than like 20 sets of bench presses over two years. And I would actually say that my chest is one of my better developed muscle groups. And maybe I could get away with some benching, but it just feels awkward. I feel it in my scapulae and I better play it safe than sorry. So find what agrees with your body mechanics. What are the exercises that you can consistently do and progress on over time without causing yourself pain or discomfort and stick to those. And a lot of this comes down to mindset because a lot of the times, I know this happened to me a lot, uh, guys hear from various sources that X and Y exercises are the best. You gotta squat for big legs, you gotta bench for big pecs, and you just feel down and depressed because you can't seem to make them work for you. Whereas again, it's really only, only your creativity that is the limiting factor in making effective training possible with a huge variety of exercises. So that would be exercise selection. The next thing would be intensity. So in general, the lower the weights you're using to train your muscles, generally the more joint friendly is going to be and the safer you will be in terms of injuries. So basically anytime you have some sort of issue with your connective tissue, if you have a flare up or some little niggle, once you have checked off your technique and you have checked off your exercise selection, the priority should fall on focusing on higher rep work with less weight. So if your knees have been bothering you and you're currently doing heavy squats for sets of six to 10, try doing leg presses or single leg work for sets of 12 to 15, maybe even 20 to 30. There's typically always an intensity range where you can still get in effective workouts without messing up your joints. Like I said, I do sets of 30 for my quads and arms because my knees and elbows are very sensitive and they flare up quite easily. So by incorporating some very high rep work, I'm able to get in more volume, put more tension on the muscle without putting a lot of stress on my joints. And there is this last thing which would be autoregulation, which really in the simplest form could be just knowing when you shouldn't push hard. Like if you're sleep deprived, tired and mentally not present, maybe that's not the best time to do very technical exercises such as squats, especially heavy. I mean, I had days when I had terrible sleep and was still a zombie by the time I got to the gym. And then and there, I just decided that, you know what, I'll just do a few sets of face pulls, some bicep work and some calf raises and I'll leave. But there's also other things you can do, such as uh, auto-regulating your volume within the session, which I'm a big fan of. Um, and in the SSD training system, we use this heavily. Uh, if you're doing something like myo reps, then that's highly auto-regulatory by nature. But you can also make use of this auto-regulatory principle by looking at your performance or lifts. So if your performance have decreased by more than about two, two and a half percent, then it might be a good idea to call it a day on that lift. So for example, on the bench press, if you do eight reps with 100 kilos, or you did that the last time, and now you want it to do two and a half kilos more, so 102.5 kilos, so that's a two and a half percent increase, and then you got less than seven reps, then that's an indication of regression. So instead of progressing with your lifts, it might be worthwhile to quit that set at that point. Training frequency, I'm going back and forth on this one. Uh, some people, like Menno Henselmans, for example, would say that frequency is not an independent risk factor for connective tissue problems. Only training volume and training intensity are. And these factors might be independently impacted by training frequency. I, on the other hand, uh, for the longest time, experienced that 
with certain connective tissue problems that I had, lowering training frequency was one of the best ways to get around these issues. At the same time though, I will admit that it's hard to control 100% for volume and intensity when you're playing around with your training frequency. Because if you're using higher training frequency approaches, in most cases, you will also use a total higher training volume, if anything, because of the fact that you will be able to do more reps with a given weight because you're more fresh. And you will typically also use higher total loads because of the same reason. And you will also probably progress faster with your loads. So it could be that if you artificially mimicked the rate of progression and the loads that you would have to use with a lower training frequency approach when doing higher frequencies, then frequency wouldn't be an independent contributor to connective tissue problems. So um, there you go. Yet another topic that we could go on discussing for another 10 minutes at least, but not now because uh, we'll never finish with this episode otherwise. Uh, and there are other things too, of course, that you can do for managing injuries. For example, using some tempo training. So slowing down your eccentrics are a great way to make the exercises more challenging without putting too much extra stress on your joints. Focusing on the mind-muscle connection uh, a lot in this context can be very useful in my experience. This is something I still do, for example, with cable flies, where I'm really trying to focus on my pecs contracting as opposed to heaving the weight around with my arms and my shoulders. I also do it with ham hamstring curls, even though I never had real problems with the hemis, but I think it makes a big difference whether or not you focus on your hamstrings contracting or you just uh, curl it up from your knee flexors, I guess. And the final thing I'll say on injuries is that if you actually did mess something up and incurred an injury, really focus on doing what you can as opposed to putting everything on hold. So if you got an injured knee, for example, then train your upper body and of course vice versa. And even the body part that is injured Odds are that you can still train that in a certain way that doesn't aggravate the injury, but you can still facilitate some effective training and in fact can promote faster healing because of the extra blood flow and, you know, simply because active recovery really works and it can actually speed up recovery. And um, this was perhaps my biggest mistake throughout my injury recovery, by the way, uh, not training what I could as best as I could from the get-go, because odds are that I still could have done some push-up variations, some arm training, some pull-down variations, and even some light shoulder presses with slower reps. But at a, at a certain point, I just got way too shit-scared, you know, from irritating my shoulder to any extent. Um, and there is more to this shit, honestly. And if you'd like me to talk about this again, let me know in the comment section or reach out to me personally. But this damn episode went way too long for now. And I'm kind of sick of my own voice, so I'll just cut this episode off right here. So uh, that was my weekly podcast update episode and some thoughts on injury management. And with that, see you next time, which will be next week. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode and liked what you heard. And if you did, then I think you'd definitely love our SSD training and nutritional course that we recently put out with Burger Fuggerly. This program not only contains a 12-week phasic training program that you can use to time efficiently and safely build the best body you can, but also gives you four plus hours of video lectures about managing your nutrition and lifestyle to not only look good, but feel and perform optimally. And besides this, you will also be getting some 
really awesome bonuses like Berge Fagerli's Myo Reps and Zero Carb ebook. So if this sounds interesting to you, then go ahead and check out sustainableselfdevelopment.com. And of course, to not miss out on future episodes like this, subscribe to the podcast and you'll be up to date on everything we'll be putting out. So thank you for hanging around up until now and see you next time.